0: How does division creep into the church? And when it does creep into the church, how are we supposed to address it? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on org starting Now. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Toby Logsdon, and you are listening to Bible Study Podcasts.org. Today is Wednesday, the 18th of July, 2012. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for joining us for our second-to-last lesson in the book of Romans. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 16. We're going to be covering verses 17 to 20. We'll get started with that in just a minute, but I do want to welcome you guys. Um, man, I am I'm pretty excited and also a little bit sad that, uh, this study is winding down. You know, we've only got one more lesson after this. Uh, it's been a long road. We started in 2007. I just kind of started it on a whim and, uh, you know, it's, it's been quite a journey. And I, I would say that, um, you know, if, if you've gone through this whole study, uh, Man, you have to have grown in your understanding. At least I know I have, and I hope that you guys have too. Um, But it's been a blessing to go through this study with you guys. Um, And I think what we're probably going to do over the next few weeks, because I'm actually getting ready to go on vacation... We were going to have our last lesson uh, in the middle of July, like next week, but uh, because I'm going on vacation, what we'll probably do is we'll put some you know, some lessons in Mark up over the next few weeks, and also uh, a series that I'm doing right now um, focusing on the five solas of the Reformation. Maybe I'll put a podcast or two with, with one of my sermons in that series up on uh, the website. I want to remind you guys that we do have an app now if you have any type of apple device if you have an ipod or an iphone or you know um, you just prefer to use itunes apps um, you can get our app uh, the name of the app is Bible SP. If, you, uh, if you're if you in iTunes and you do a search for apps, type in Bible SP, and that will pull up our app. It looks like, um, man, we, we've got a lot of listeners now on on uh, apps, so I imagine a lot of you guys have already made that transition, but in the past week, somebody did ask me, uh, you know, what is the name of the app again? So I did want to refresh your memories, just in case you don't have it and you prefer to listen Uh, via apps so uh, it's out there and hopefully from what I understand you know the the day is coming when there will be one for Android devices as well I'm just not sure exactly when that is you know if it's a long-term project or if it's sometime soon Um, at this point I I just really don't know before we get started I did want to talk to you guys about what we'll be doing next since our Roman study has almost come to an end And I wanted to say, you know, we're just going to start over at Romans chapter 1 verse 1, but (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. Uh, Although I do think that the series does deserve an introductory lesson where we talk a little bit about the history of the book, the audience, uh, the reason that it was being written, you know, things like that. Uh, And I will just, you know, post it, you know, like as the first lesson so that when people go... And start at Romans chapter one verse one. Instead, they'll see, oh, there's an introductory lesson, and they'll start with that. But that probably won't show up in your feed because I will, uh, you know, I'll post it like way back when. One of the options that I'm looking at uh, is doing the book of John, finishing up the book of John. You know, Justin started that series, uh, you know, a few years ago. Uh, Never finished it. It was a great series. Uh, So maybe I'll, I'll continue doing that. I'll for sure continue posting sermons. Um, you know, from uh, from my church, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll put something up there for you guys, and we'll we'll figure something out. But I'm really in no rush to uh, to jump into another five year study <laughs> of anything. Although this has been this has been wonderful, I have loved this study. But yeah, I'll just keep you guys posted on exactly what's coming next. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we just ask Lord that you would Instruct us that you would give us teachable spirits, Lord, that you would draw near to us as we draw near to you. Teach us to be more like you. Teach us to live as an accurate representation of your son, Jesus, wherever we are, whatever the situation may be. God, teach us to love your truth as revealed in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul, throughout this study, Paul has put a ton of effort into teaching solid, pure doctrine. Uh, You know, he's covered every aspect of our salvation, from justification by faith in Christ alone to glorification and everything in between. In fact, he spent the last four chapters, starting with chapter 12, verse 1, uh, talking about the way that we're to live during that in between part, which of course is the here and now and one of the great themes that Paul has touched on over and over again since the beginning of chapter twelve is the unity of believers. In chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, Paul wrote, "...for just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another." And he goes on to say in verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. In verse 18, he hits this theme again, writing, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. But don't read that last part. Don't read that last verse. Verse 18, without making note of the qualifier so far as it depends on you. The fact is that no matter how great our efforts to live at peace with other people might be, there are people out there who don't share in that interest, who just seek to destroy peace, especially when it comes to the peace and unity that followers of Jesus are supposed to have with one another. I'm pretty sure that I've talked before about the man and woman who showed up uh, just within a few weeks of when I was first hired at my current church. Uh, the guy was um, was at least a good 20 or you know maybe a little bit older than that, uh, 20 years older than me, and he told us that you know they'd lived in the area for the past 12 years, during which time they hadn't found a church which suited them, uh, so they had never settled in a church, and that. Honestly, was a major red flag. Now, even though I didn't have a ton of ministry experience yet at the time, I recognized that something wasn't quite right about that. And as the weeks and months went by, I learned that this man... Had been to seminary, but he had dropped out for some reason before he finished. And it wasn't too long before he was emailing me every week to criticize my sermons. And trust me, I mean, I mean, criticize, not critique. There's a very significant difference between critiquing and criticizing. He was definitely criticizing, and his criticism was always completely unfounded. After enduring this guy's aggression toward me for several weeks, I finally called the man who serves our church as chairman of the board to talk to him about uh, the emails I was getting and the criticism I was getting from this other guy. And it turns out that this man was whispering in a lot of ears about what he perceived to be my shortcomings as a pastor and as a teacher. And he had actually complained to my chairman of the board as well. And as I was having this conversation with my chairman of the board, we immediately realized that something just wasn't quite right about this guy. You know, not settling in a church for 12 years, harassing and kind of, relentlessly criticizing the new pastor, not contributing financially to the church, you know, these things all revealed that this guy had come into the church for one purpose, and that was to divide us. Now, before you misunderstand what I mean when I say that failing to contribute to the church financially was a red flag, let me just clarify, and and I want you to understand that A, we had good reason to believe that this man and his wife had the means to contribute, and B, your heart is where your treasure lies. It was just another piece of the puzzle, which, you know, when you put it all together, revealed someone who wasn't interested in participating in or contributing to the church's ministry. Now, I understand some people can't contribute to ministry. That's that's fine. That's totally understandable. But when somebody doesn't, when they can, uh, that, that's a little bit fishy. So he wasn't here to contribute to our ministry or to participate in it. He was here to destroy it. Our solution was simply to call him out on his schemes and antics. I told him that I would no longer be reading his weekly emails, that I felt that they were overly critical, and my chairman of the board told him that the church was 100% behind me and that if he didn't like it, basically too bad. Well, we never saw this man or his wife again. The truth is that the same types of things have been taking place in churches around the world since the inception of Christianity. One of the enemy's favorite strategies is to divide and conquer. He loves to divide because he knows that, A, Jesus prayed for his followers to be one just as he and the Father are one, and division among believers presents an obstacle to the fulfillment of that prayer, and B, division causes more than just confusion really, it causes pain, and it causes bitterness as well. And when people are emotionally scarred by division in a church, they're much less likely to return, not just to that church, but to any church. You see, between our justification and our glorification is our sanctification, and a vital aspect of that vital aspect of our sanctification is fellowship with other followers of Jesus. You take a believer out of fellowship and you have an uprooted plant, which will be sustained by God's grace, of course, but which will never grow. It'll never flourish in their walk and in their growth in the Lord. And that's why Paul has devoted more instruction pertaining to the life, the, the daily living of the Christ follower than he did to any other single doctrine in the entire book of Romans. No other subject received four chapters worth of discourse. Now, in light of the importance of unity and fellowship among followers of Jesus, before Paul concludes this letter, he has a warning. And this is the first and only warning that he issues in the whole letter. He writes in Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. Now there are a few things that we need to make note of here. First of all, Paul doesn't do a whole lot of urging. Uh, that's a word that he wisely uses, somewhat sparingly. I think he knew, as any wise person would, that overusing a word like urge will ultimately nullify its significance. You know, if you use it too much, we'd see it as a word that he used all the time, even when it wasn't entirely necessary. And so that's when it was necessary, we might not realize until it's too late. So Paul uses this word urge actually only three times in this letter, and each usage is in the context of something that's really, really super important. First, he urged his audience to present themselves as a living sacrifice. That's the first time he urged. That was back in chapter 12, verse 1. Then he urged the recipients of this letter, to join him in praying that his plans for making his way to Spain for the expansion of the gospel message would be fulfilled. Now he urges them in regards to those who cause division in the body of Christ. Note, however, that Paul's instruction isn't to immediately excommunicate or avoid fellowship with such people. No, his instruction is simply that the true believer remain mindfully aware of such people. He says, keep your eye on them. That's his urging here. And I believe that the reason for this is that it's not uncommon for those who are simply immature in their spiritual walk to continue seeking glory for themselves, just as all of us did prior to trusting in Jesus alone for our salvation. But somebody who's a new creation with those old habits of seeking glory for themselves will carry that habit right through the church doors into the midst of a group of Christ followers. And Paul's instruction is that we simply keep an eye on those who divide the body of Christ. Now, the tense that Paul writes uh, in, this, in this context indicates that the prescribed action, that is, keeping an eye on them, is something that must be done constantly. The Greek word that Paul uses is skopeo, which is at the root of words like microscope or telescope. You know, if you use a microscope or a telescope, what are you doing? You're looking very carefully. At something. You're looking for details. If I were to paraphrase this instruction, you know, I might say, keep the person who causes dissensions and hindrances under the microscope. Now the weapons of choice for such a person are dissensions and hindrances if you're going to cause division you cause dissensions and hindrances such a person has no problem coming into the midst of Christ followers who have you know who love each other and who are at peace with one another and before too long you have two or more groups of people two or more factions arguing and growing in bitterness and strife with one another the divisive person tends to be really good at you know keeping a low profile keeping it on the down low because division doesn't happen in broad daylight and they know that it's it's all very secretive you know don't tell so-and-so that i told you this but do you ever notice how so-and-so always does such and such uh be more specific uh, you know i think i saw so-and-so gazing at my wife you know something like that or you know so-and-so reminds me of someone i used to know who always did you know this or that and before you know it there's complete and utter distrust and disharmony among this once peaceful group of believers and worse yet Worse yet, those who seek to divide often do so under the guise of being discerning. They probably wouldn 't even admit that they 're trying to divide believers if you were to you know if you were to torture them, starve them, and, and deprive them of sleep they won 't even admit that they, they don 't even realize that that 's what they 're trying to do they 're often so delusional. I think they honestly believe that they're just trying to serve and strengthen the body of Christ. You know, I can actually think of several so-called discernment ministries out there that do this very thing. You know, they, they just cause uh, dissensions among followers of Jesus. There are so many websites out there that are designed just to do that. And the most dangerous aspect of this type of person who seeks to divide... Is that they often appear to be a mature follower of Jesus on the surface? You know, they they play the role and they know how to play the role. They're fluent in Christianese, and they often try to paint themselves as these super spiritual people who deserve our admiration. You know, this is all very real, very scary stuff. See, dissension and love cannot coexist. Those things aren't in harmony with one another. They're opposites. And so, with that said the thing that Paul is warning us of is a failure to maintain a love for every single brother and sister in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll agree about everything. You can guarantee that we won't. But we are one, as Jesus prayed that we would be with anyone and everyone who affirms the essentials of the Christian faith. When we stop loving them, dissension sinks in. Their second weapon is hindrances. And this is actually the same word that Paul used back in Romans chapter 14, verse 13, when he said, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Stumbling block is the same word as hindrance. A hindrance is thus the same thing as a stumbling block, which, as we saw, was a trap that lured unsuspecting believers into sin, either by false teaching or by example. And in this case, the stumbling block is something that's contrary to the teachings of Scripture. So the first prescribed action is to continually keep such a person under the proverbial microscope, keep an eye on such a person constantly. The second prescribed action here is to turn away from them. By that, Paul simply means don't follow them, don't fall for their antics. These two actions aren't given only to the leaders of a church. They are given to everyone. Let it be known that this is everyone's responsibility. And if there's any question, questions shouldn't be addressed in private, but should be brought forth As publicly as possible, someone who doesn't have intentions to divide won't run and hide when questionable actions are brought into the light for scrutiny, for public examination, and open discussion. Rather, they'll want to clarify their intentions so as to avoid confusion, or they'll welcome the correction that's needed. In his letter to Titus, Paul wrote, Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. That's from Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. In other words, if divisions continue, if the person continues being divisive, if nothing changes after bringing those issues out into the light, don't have anything to do with that person. And that's exactly what happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 to 5. Treat them as brothers, warning them and rebuking you know, in a spirit of love when necessary. And if that doesn't work, admonish them in a spirit of love and concern again. And if that still doesn't work, avoid them. Jesus instructed that when a person doesn't take correction but insists on continuing in sin, there to be like a tax collector to you. That's from Matthew chapter 18, verse 17. I don't know about you, but I would avoid tax collectors, especially back in a first century context. Avoid them. So Paul continues, writing in verse 18. For such men, that is the divisive men, for such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the heart's, of the unsuspecting. See, in verse 17, in the previous verse, Paul revealed what their method was. And here in verse 18, Paul reveals their motive. Why would there be people who seek to cause division and dissension and hindrances in the church? Well, there were a lot of problems which led to dissension in the early church, but the context of this verse reveals that those who cause dissension and division are more interested in their own glory than they are in the glory of our Lord Jesus. What they do and what they say has the purpose of personally benefiting them in some way. Their actions are ultimately driven by sheer selfishness rather than love and devotion to God and paul tells us that these tend to be smooth talkers in other words they play to the weaknesses of their target you know if if pride is an issue for another person they'll flatter and you know they'll flatter the person and inflate their ego if it's insecurity maybe they make them just feel really important if it's fear maybe they play to their lack of control and i love the greek word that paul uses here for flatter the word is eulogia obviously that's the word from which we derive our word eulogy a eulogy is a term which refers to praise or a compliment, but it's uh, almost always in the context of somebody being dead. I think that should tell us exactly how dangerous flattery can be. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul reminded the church in Thessalonica that part of the reason that they could trust and believe Paul was the fact that he didn't come with flattering speech. Flattery is a deceptive weapon that people with impure motives, impure intentions, learn to use with precision. And what happens is that good people, faithful people, are led astray by smooth and flattering speech because their hearts are deceived. Now, this isn't to say that the true believer can or will lose their salvation. God will sustain them in his grace. A person who has eternal life can't suddenly lose it because, you know, obviously, if that were the case, it wouldn't have been eternal to begin with. But they may suffer the loss of rewards in heaven, although they themselves will nevertheless be saved, but only as through fire, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. Our job is to hold to what is true, and to love and encourage others to grow in their understanding of the truth as revealed in Scripture. So why has Paul urged the Roman church this way? He tells us as he continues by writing in verses 19 and 20, he says, For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Now, this should be something of a sobering statement, honestly, to anyone who proactively seeks the division of the saints. The implication here is very clear it's that such people are a representation of Satan. Only the enemy of God, only the enemy of God, would seek to divide. God's people would seek to divide the church. But Paul makes it clear that by being aware of such people, by confronting in love and admonishing such people, God, who is the God of peace, will crush Satan under their feet. Peace will prevail among God's people. The church in Rome, you see, was well established. They were doctrinally sound, and they had a reputation of being an obedient group. When someone is sold out for something they believe to be true, their level of commitment and dedication will be revealed in their actions. Conversely, Paul makes it clear in his letter to Titus that a false teacher will be recognizable by what? by their disobedience to the truth of Scripture. That's from Titus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. The church in Rome was committed to Jesus and to spreading the gospel message. That gave Paul reason to rejoice, but it also gave him reason to be concerned because wherever God's people are obedient, we can be sure that the enemy wants to step in and mess things up. He wants to bring in chaos. He wants to bring in division and dissension and hindrances. But we need to know, That when divisive people are left to stand alone, they tend to move on. They'll find another group of fellowship of believers to try and cause division in. Our job as followers of Jesus is simply to maintain a spirit of unity, love, and peace among all followers of Jesus. True love, true love requires that if there's an issue, we bring it out into the light, not for the sake of bringing shame on anyone but for the sake of truth and unity, for the sake of harmony. Remain mindful of the possibility of divisive people sneaking in and the necessity of unity among believers. Keep your hearts filled with love. Keep your eyes on the truth and your lips prepared to speak that truth in love. Doing all these things will prevent you from becoming the one who needs to be corrected and it'll guide you when circumstances dictate that you're the one who needs to correct someone else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the unity that your son prayed for on the night before he died. God, I pray that unity would be something that the world sees in us, that we would be devoted to one another, that we would honor one another. Lord, that we would love one another the way that you would have us do so. And God, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that we would be able to discern truth from falsehood and that you would teach us to make any correction in a spirit of love. God, we pray for the unity of all believers. We know that the enemy seeks to destroy us We know that it is your grace that holds us together. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for this time. Make us a people who are passionate about your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.